0: Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Next Sunday, Georgian Banoff's going to be here. I'm very excited about that. He is going to... If you you have any religious friends you want to invite, this is a great service to bring them to. I mean, this... I I don't know what to say. Georgian is a... uh, a gypsy who plays the violin. He'll probably be involved in our worship service, whether they ask him or not. And uh, <clears throat> he may be watching right now. We love you, Georgia. We can't wait for you to come. He is—he's called the Apostle of Joy. He brings joy, and such. So it's, and it's not—it's not because he says funny things, although he does. But it's just because he's got just the spirit of joy on him, and you're going to catch it. And if you need some joy, remember the joy of the Lord is our strength. So. You definitely want to be a part of that. So that's happening. Is there anything else I missed, Ashley? I think I'm good. Oh, yes, yeah, Cindy, come me run those up real quick. Cindy wanted me to talk about these for a minute. We've got some new books that are out in our bookstore there. And this one is Joanna Gaines. You probably know her. It's a great children's book, uh, Who, you Were, Who You Were Made to Be. I was looking at this this morning. Really cool illustrations. Kids love it. And this is a godly woman who uh, would really help out that Okay. Uh, this is 40. You, I'm, I'm revving up for, I, I can't even say it now, 2023. Feel, I thought we'd be like the Jetsons by now, but we're not. Uh, 2023. And uh, this is 40 days through the Bible. This is a good time to start scouting some of these out and see how you want to begin your new year. Because what you do in that first month of the new year really does affect, can affect your whole year. This is 40 days through the Bible. It's excellent. And uh, I haven't looked it up myself, but Cindy's researches all these. This is Proverbs 31 ministry team. Is that right, Cindy? So we've got that out there. We only have a few of each of these. Sorry. Yeah, that one will be marked down a little bit. Uh, this one I was looking at yesterday because it was in my garage in a box to come over here. This is 365 day devotional, daily strength for men. Even some women can buy this and leave it by the bedside of their men. And uh, you know, and it's got all the stuff that's gonna attract them. There's a fish here. There's a, a buck with antlers. There's a, a, a wheel, uh, what, what do you call a Navigation wheel, you know, on, a, on an old ship. And there's a hammer here. All of those are very attractive to men. And they will, I know, because it attracted me and I pulled it out of the box like, hey, what is this, you know? What's going on? Did I go too long? And so each day, it's really nice, it lays it out to the day, gives you a little bit of a reading, a scripture, and I read today's, and today's was out of Jeremiah, that the Lord's intentions are to prosper you. So you get that. If you don't have to say, I don't have a lot of time to devote to that, well, we've got other issues there I'll talk about later, but take... Uh, This would take probably 10 minutes. Read that. Get yourself into a rhythm of getting the word of God in you. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, I read stuff and I never remember it. It's not about remembering it. I mean, remembering it is good. It's like food. I don't don't eat food and then go, come on, pizza. Come on, man, do something. Build some strength in my body. First of all, that would be a miracle. But I don't do that because once I've consumed it, it begins to do what it does. And so once you consume the word of God, it, it's you can go about your daily business. And the word of God will begin to shift your attitudes. It shifts your life, it shifts your change. It, uh, your, your, everything about you, it brings change, it opens doors, amazing things happen as the word of God gets centered in your life. Open up to the Word of God. Speaking of that, John 2021. 20, John 21, we're going to go there in just a second. A great meme I saw this week. Any of you collect memes? 90% of them I just don't like at all. But, uh, but periodically you get a good one. I got one this week and this is the meme. According to my chocolate candy advent calendar, we have only two days until Christmas. <laughs> Some people are like, "Wait, wait, what?" Oh, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Two days of Christmas. Yeah, funny how those Advent calendars work, isn't it? There's just not enough days or something. I don't know. But anyway, uh, makes me think of another story. I when Jerry Nicewinder uh, first came here about six years ago, and uh, I was just I was just texting back and forth with him this week, and I was remembered reminded of this. His first week here, he. Uh, he, uh I, I asked him, I said, hey, Jerry, uh, we were up in Middleburg. I said, you uh, want to go out to uh, Aladdin's, which is a you know, local, regional, and now East Coast uh, restaurant where you can get Middle Eastern food, you know, particularly Lebanese. And it was run by Christians originally. I'm not, I'm not sure who runs it now, but it's great food. It's healthy-ish, leans toward healthy, and it's decent. And uh, so he said, well, oh, yeah, sure. And I said, uh, do you like hummus? And he said, no, I don't like hummus. Now, you know, Jerry, if you don't like something, you don't like it. So I don't like hummus. I said, no, 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 this is like really good hummus. No, I don't like, I don't like the texture in my mouth. You know, none of that. I don't like it. I said, okay, well, let's go anyway. So we go over there. And, uh, and so we we're getting ready to order. And I said, um, Jerry, you want some hummus? He said, no, I want hummus. I said, okay, I'd like an order of hummus uh, with some vegetables with it, you know, and so I ordered it up, and of course they come over and serve at the table. I said, Jerry, have some hummus. Just try it. Just take it. He said, Noah, I don't like hummus. And I said, just, just try one bite of it. He said, all right. I mean, I just hired him, so you know he had to do. Eat some hummus. <laughs> and he, and so he took some hummus. He ate it. And he started communing with me over the hummus. So I left town the next day. I was gone all week, somewhere out of town. I came back and someone on the staff came up and said, did you, did you hear about Jerry? And I said, no. He said, he's been to Aladdin's three days this week. <laughs> hummus changed his life. <clears throat> and so I was meditating on that and I thought, in fact, the title of my sermon, this is a food message, of course, and uh... And I'm I want to speak a few minutes on meals that restore your past views. Meals that restore your past views. And in this case, it's even going to be attached a little bit about yourself. Views of yourself and who you are. That one meal with the presence of Christ on it, this is the power of food, can change someone's life. I know a few weeks ago, I wasn't, I wasn't here, I was sick actually, uh, uh, whenever it was, three or four weeks ago, and, and some of the guys here spoke, and they were speaking on uh, eating in the presence of your enemy, a table in the presence of your enemy. This is, this is somewhat related to that, but I want to just focus on something a little bit different because there's power, if you ever want to reconcile with someone, take them out to eat and pay for it. There needs to to be a a payment for it. You need to pay it. It says something in our culture to people, whether it's a coffee or a a bagel or whatever it might be, you're you're paying something. This is on me, you know. You're paying for something. You're setting the table spiritually for emotional shift. And God shows up in that because God is into reconciliation. It says in the word of God that you come to the altar with your gift, whether it be an offering, whether it be a praise or whatever, he says, and, and you, your brother is out against you or you have out against your brother. Go first and reconcile with them before you present your offering. This has been many times that that's come up to my mind when I'm getting ready to take communion and, and I understand that I'm gonna take this communion but I'm immediately gonna contact this person. I'm gonna do something to reconcile it. I just went through a couple week period of unintentional, or uh, I shouldn't say unintentional, uh, I didn't expect the level of reconciliation that I would get in these past couple of weeks. And I want to offer that to you over these next few minutes. So Jerry had established in his mind that he did not like hummus until he ate hummus from Aladdin's. And it is life-changing. <laughs> and they're not paying me to say this. It's really good. We go out there almost every Sunday. And uh, uh, so what happened was he was... He was redefined by a new hummus. Old things have passed away. The judgment toward hummus is gone. And he has been reconciled to hummusness. And can eat now freely a good hummus. And have now a good memory established in his life. And God bless him. Now he can go out and freely eat hummus. Hummus. And so in the kingdom of God, there's something in food. I'm still trying to define it. I found a whole new passage of where food made a difference uh, in someone's life in Scripture. And Jesus favors food all throughout his ministry. He understands that when you break bread together, you're communing with someone else when you share something with someone else in food, it adds a dynamic. And, and being Thanksgiving week, where many of us are going to be getting together with people we love or people we know or our families or whatever it might be, uh, you get together with them. And there's, you know, even in a good family, there's issues, there's stuff you're struggling through or whatever, you know, and, and things that, that I'm telling you, it is a moment in time. Thank God for whoever came up with it many, many years ago, I used to know, now I forget, but whoever came up with it, that we have a day of thanksgiving, that it's, it's something that is to reset our emotions and to actually deal with some things that may even be in our own hearts. So John 21, uh, verse one through 7, 17, one through 17, it's a long passage, but it's very important that I read it and I will comment on it as I go through it. This is, A a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. I think there were, if I remember right, there's nine resurrection appearances in Scripture. Now, Jesus was around for 40 days, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing all kinds of things, meeting with the disciples, freaking them out, walking through walls after he's eaten food. Like He wasn't just a ghost. If a ghost eats food, it means they have a tangible way of digesting the food. It's, it's matter that goes into their bodies. That matter then is able to separate physical body and food that goes through that wall to the outside. He walks through walls. He still carries the wounds that he had here on earth. It's, it's just, it's freakish to think about it. It, it will stun you as you meditate on who Jesus Christ is and how he relates in each one of our lives. And so in John 21, something is happening. Let me give just a little bit of backstory here. In John 21, Peter is, is suffering with a level of depression, because he had a certain view of what was going to happen. And even though Jesus raised from the dead, and he's seen Jesus, he knows about Jesus. He knows he's right. Re- even in the resurrected form of Jesus, he's having doubt about his life. He's had shame on his life. He's got fears about who he is. He's he was he was called as the one that Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. And the Catholics interpret that as Peter, I would too. That he is the rock that the Lord brought forth. As a founding stone, Jesus Christ is the ultimate rock. But upon this rock, I will build my church. In other words, Peter's going to be a channel for the church to grow. And yet he lost that identity. He lost it because he denied Jesus three times. Now, keep threes in mind because threes are important through Scripture. A lot of threes throughout Scripture. In fact, after this, in Acts, you'll find out that with Peter, in Acts 10... He was hungry and wondering what was happening, and three times the Holy Spirit gave him a vision, an open-eye vision. Once, up. Twice, up. It seems like it takes three times with Peter to get things done. And remember the Lord told him, prophesied over him the night that the Lord was betrayed and crucified. He spoke over Peter and said, you will deny me three times by the time the rooster crows. No, no Lord, I would never deny you. And, and, you know, we wouldn't in good times. In good times, you never deny. You're like, I'm rock solid, man. I'm going to stand against communism. I'm going to stand against Marxism. I'm going to stand against anything. You know, if I need to, to get out there and battle. You know, we, we talk tough when things are going good. But when the struggle comes, you understand what everyone else was talking about. You don't understand someone's heart condition until they have a heart, you have a heart condition. Then you understand it. You don't understand what grief really feels like until you lose somebody. And the waves of it that are just uncontrollable that come upon you where you can feel it in every part of your body. The grief that's coming. I mean, you. you I I didn't realize this is what, you you don't know what you don't know. You got to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, you know. So Peter's in a moment. I know we always judge Peter because you know he 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 took his eyes, put them on the winds and the waves, and he fell into water. But my pastor, growing up, used to always say, "But he walked on water. Nothing. Well, there's that. No one else did that. Just he and Jesus. Like that's kind of special badge that you get when you get that walked on water with Jesus. (laughs) None of the other disciples had that. He did. But all we remember is like, oh, he starts sinking down. Jesus had to reach down and pull him up, you know, and it had to be an embarrassing situation. No, he walked on water. So this is the same guy. And now he's seen Jesus in a resurrected form and he's doubting himself and he's doubting everything. What was this all about? What did I hear during these past three years? Did I just waste my time, waste my life? Is this thing called Christianity really worth it? You no, know, did I just waste 40 years? Did I waste 10 years? Did I waste a year trusting God and it didn't feel like he came through for me? What is this even about? Even though the resurrected Jesus is standing right in front of you. So what's he do? He goes back to fishing. That's the context of where we are. And he's apparently like, the. do you know the same prophetic people have power to encourage people in ways that are beyond normal encouragement? When it's the word of the Lord? Do you know prophetic people also have the gift of discouragement? They can say things that devastate you. And so here's here's Peter. Peter probably has influenced all of his spiritual brothers because listen to the story and you'll see what happens. Verse 1, John 21 says this, After these things, Jesus... I have to comment on a few things here along the way. Sorry, it's just little rest stops along the way you need to think about But all these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples. This is intentional. Jesus is walking around, revealing himself. I'm here. Oh, you keep popping up like that. Where are you going? Just want you to know I'm here. My resurrected self. He shows himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, they just just left Jerusalem. You know, things are happening in Jerusalem. He was crucified. He was raised from the dead. They were meeting together. Somehow there's a period of time now where they've shifted back up to Galilee they eventually end up back down in Jerusalem. But Galilee is a safe place. Sometimes place and time and experience, you know, when you're discouraged, you're depressed, you go to those places. Like, I just need something that will comfort me. I need, I need and some of us, it's food, you know, and we, and we eat food and we, we're trying to kill a depression with food and it, it can become disastrous in our lives, but sometimes you just, I've got to go back to my elementary school and just stand there in the front. I've got to go back to the church I used to be at. You know, me, when I was growing up, remember we had landlines. We did not have cell phones. And I had my pastor's phone number right there by the phone. And if I felt I had done something that had disqualified me from the kingdom of God, I called my pastor. And As soon as he answered the phone, I hung up. <laughs> I was always afraid the rapture was going to take place. And if he was here, I knew I was okay. I get calls like that too. I wonder what's going on, but I told him that years later. And he said, you didn't do that. And I said, no, I did. He goes, that explains a lot. I mean, it's all those phone calls. Someone called and hung up, you know. So he revealed himself, showed himself. Verse two, Simon Peter, we know him. He's the star of this story right here. Thomas called the twin. See, I love they had nicknames for these guys. Nathaniel of Cana. In Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. By the way, if you didn't see Chosen, season three, we went to the theater yesterday to see it. Powerful. I don't know if you can still see it or not, but if you can't go, it is really, really, really powerful. And it deeply encouraged me regarding what I'm sharing right now. So uh, sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. I love that. Two others of the disciples. Like that would be a little aggravating if you were one of those two. Why didn't you name me? You know, I don't get it. But anyway, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. You see that he's he's in a depressed state. He left fishing. He dropped his nets. He followed Jesus. The Bible says he he absolutely left everything and followed Jesus. Now he's back thinking I'm going to go fishing. What does that mean? It means you know, okay, I had my experience. I had my Jesus moment there in 3 years. Big Jesus season actually. I had my Jesus season, and, and uh, I, I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm going fishing. Maybe he's just hungry. I don't know. I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. See how he influenced them. <laughs> we're going with you also. So all, a bunch of depressed guys, you know, there was it seven of them, get in the boat. I don't know where the other apostles were. And, and that night, they caught nothing. This happened again in another place in Scripture, in Luke chapter 5. There's interesting parallels between these two verses. I didn't realize there was so much study done on it. But between Luke 5 and John 21, things have happened. Actually, Luke 5 was the beginning of Peter's ministry. It's when he, he was overwhelmed by the goodness of God. When they, they had given up, they had caught nothing, they dropped their nets into the water in Luke 5. And if you've seen The Chosen, it's a dynamic uh, Depiction of what happened. And they're all like, Peter's like in doubt, like, uh, you know, a carpenter is trying to tell me how to fish. Give me a break. So I throw the net in and he looks at Jesus and the chosen kind of like, you know, I told you so. And all of a sudden it's teeming with fish. And they they bring the nets into the boat. The nets are breaking and the boat begins to sink and they they start cheering and they pull the boat ashore to keep it from sinking because there were so many fish in there. So there's a, there's a marking point, And Jesus turned around and fell on his, his knees and, and just, he, he repented. He, he cried out, you know, and Jesus said, follow me. And so that's, that's the first bookend right there, Luke five. And so then a lot's happened since then, you know, three years of ministry with Jesus. And then of course the cross and Death, burial, resurrection, everything else. And so here we are again. He said, I'm going fishing. They go, we're going also. They they immediately get in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Nighttime is the best time to fish on the Sea of Galilee. But when morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know it was Jesus. It may have been a fog. may have been far enough away. They didn't even recognize his voice, but he was there. And he's watching them. This is so powerful. I mean, this is the... This is the expression of God through Jesus, God in the flesh, of what he thinks about what you're going through. And he's waiting on the beach. He sees them out there. And of course, he's in his resurrected body. And he knows, he knows they, they've been fishing all night and they have caught nothing. So Jesus, in the, in the uh, heavenly charm that he has, he says to them, children, have you any uh food? You think they'd recognize his voice? They didn't. They they immediately answered and said, No. In other words, you know, rub it in. Yeah, we have no food. It's interesting, by the way, Jesus did. They didn't. Something to think about. And he said to them, Hey, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Not on a bow, not on the stern. I mean, he's yeah, left side, of the right side of the boat. Why not left side? Why not over the front of the bow? Why, you know, I mean, I can could, I could imagine, but, you know, they'd, hey, whatever. They'd fished all night and caught anything. And so uh, they cast their nets on the right side of the boat. Do you see this is a repeat of Hummus. They're about to be healed by a moment they were marked with in the past. And it was about to refresh them and break off the depression that was upon them. But they didn't know that. They didn't know they were in a Jesus parable, a Jesus scenario, a moment. And you don't either. I mean, on a daily basis, I'm telling you, Jesus is on the shore saying, Hey, you caught anything? No, no. How you doing? Not really good. Let's not talk about it. Are you depressed? Yeah. I mean, Jesus is there. He's watching and he's about to, he brings scenarios into your life in order to arouse an understanding of what you once had when you've touched Jesus in a powerful way. It's it's scratch and sniff. It's that easy. The fragrance of Christ comes into your life. So he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because the multitude of fish. That's Luke 5. It's now happening again in John 21. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved. Who was that, right? John. Yeah, John. John said to Peter. By the way, what book is this in? Yeah, it's in John. John liked to write that about himself. You know, if I would have said, you know, hey, I was there too. John says the disciple Jesus loved. Said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it, plunged into the sea. They were probably about, they were a little over 100 yards offshore. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits. There you go, 200 cubits. Dragging the net with fish. And as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there. I wanna wanna know how Jesus starts fires. And fish laid on it. This isn't the fish they caught, Jesus already had one. It says fish laid on it and bread. He is now going back to his second experience. Do you recognize it? Loaves and fishes. Like, I'll just create a little loaf and fish here. Actually, there's probably loaves there because he shared it with everybody or he had one loaf and it multiplied. So there he is. He's, He's got loaves and fishes. They look and they see it. Instantly, they would think multiplication of loaves and fishes. So they've just experienced Multitude of fish. Now they're experiencing multiple. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He is pressing in and saying, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the God of abundance. I'm El Shaddai. I am more than enough for whatever you're experiencing right now in your life. And in key moments, he brings things up that make you remind, remind you of something in the past that he has done for you. Don't put that aside. It's the Lord knocking on the door of your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens that door, I will come in and eat and drink with them. That's that's Revelation 3.20. He's always knocking on our door. If you open that door, he comes in. It immediately shifts upward where he's in heaven, and he opens the door of heaven and says, hey, come on up. You say, come on in. He says, come on up. When you tie into what Jesus is doing in your life, it opens up revelation and understanding that you would never get in this realm right here. Whether it's for work, whether it's for your marriage, whether it's for raising your family, whatever it might be, you need the help of heaven. And so he has coals there, fish laid on it, bread. Jesus says to them, Hey, bring some fish which you have caught. I love that he says that. Now, Jesus is the one that caught them. They just had the net. But he gives them credit for it. Bring the fish that you've caught. Good job. You're a good fisherman. Yeah, when you listen to Jesus. You're a good fisherman. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. In the fourth century, Jerome, who's a, who's a theologian of the fourth century, he believed that uh, he may have known it. I don't know. But he believed that, there was, that this signified diversity. That was there 153 people groups in the world at that time. That's what he wrote. Uh, a believer, strong believer, uh, God-fearing man, theologian. So it speaks to diversity, which would make sense. Because in Acts 10, the sheet that came out of heaven had all kinds of animals in it that Jews could not eat. It's God speaking through food saying that I'm about to do something very diverse. I'm about to break racism. I'm about to break judgments that you have in your heart. I'm about to break this thing between Republicans and Democrats. I'm gonna break this thing in what you see and what you experience right now in this situation. Now, remember in Luke 5, the nets were breaking, boats were sinking, right? Listen to this, 153. And although there were so many 153 large fish. They note the net was not broken. Just saying that the disciples learned something between Luke five and John twenty one. That when Jesus is around, keep your net strong, because there may be a big catch coming up, and you may need a bigger boat. Make sure your boat floats if Jesus is around. The Lord really revealed that to me twenty six years ago. He said, in this church, in this place, you need large boats and strong nets. Nets are relationship. Boats are facilities and systems. So here's our boat right here. This is our ark right here that you're sitting in. This is a big boat. And when tens of thousands of people come through this building, in the years ahead, it will not break. It will stand strong. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dare ask, who are you? (laughs) Really? Duh. I mean, John already said, it's Jesus. Like, have you not now got this whole thing? I mean, I'm sure there were disciples like, wait, I'm not sure. Who is this guy? You know, where do you get that fish and bread? You don't just cook bread up here on the beach, you know. He does. He's the bread of life. Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came to them, took the bread... And gave it to them. Okay, we're moving into a third story now. He breaks the bread. When did that happen? The night he was betrayed. He broke the bread. It becomes a supernatural symbol of the presence of God. When the bread is broken, eyes are open. You Remember on the road to Emmaus, the two guys that were with him, they did not know who Jesus was until they sat down at a meal, and he broke the bread. When he broke the bread, their eyes were open. I mean, there's so much opening coming up to them right now. It shows the power of the heart of God to transform individuals who've gone through deep, difficult, challenging situations. And they think God has left them. They, they, feel no, they don't feel the Spirit of God. They hear other people saying that. But I'm telling you, God has been speaking to you on a daily basis. He's aligning you for a restoration. He wants you to come back and know what it is to be with Jesus. He will bring one story, two story, three stories if he has to, to say, I was with you there, I was with you there, I was with you there, and I'm with you right now. Uh, He gives them the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. So obviously, he had a fish. There was a fish on there. There was bread there. He's got, what, eight eight people total? Seven plus himself? He feeds them all. There's a multiplication that took place. They are experiencing a supernatural moment in their lives, and it's all about the healing of Peter. So... Verse fourteen. Watch this closely. This is what you get out of the word of God. If you look into it a little deeper, it says this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples. These things are not written in scripture just for information's sake. Luke maybe. I mean, Luke is very detailed. But in this case in John, John says third, third time. There were 12 disciples, but three key disciples, Peter, James, and John. There's the sheet that comes out of heaven. You know, one, two, three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. So Jesus gets ready to come back. He uses the food up front because he knows food changes mood. Food changes mood. Especially if it's Chick-fil-A. Food changes mood, says something to the soul. I mean, we know what it does to the body, but it affects the soul. So this is the third time, which means this is it. This is time. He gives three miracles, demonstrates three miracles they've experienced before. Jesus showed himself on the third time. And so when they had eaten breakfast, so it doesn't sound like there's a lot of stuff going on. They've been out all night. They're probably famished. So they're just like typical guys. They're just, they're chowing down. They're eating the food, you know. Jesus said to Simon Peter, it doesn't feel like this is separated. It's not a private conversation. They're taking their last bites of bread and he says, Simon, son of Jonah. He uses his old name. Doesn't call him Peter. He calls him the name of what he feels he is in, the past, not who he has become. And Peter the rock Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? There's debate on what he meant, these. He's talking about the disciples. He's talking about the fish. I believe it was the fish. They're eating them. Jesus eating the fish. Peter wanted to go back fishing because he was depressed. There's always something. I want to go back to what I did. I'm going to go back to that moment because I felt really good there. I felt comfortable there. I don't wanna, what I've experienced right now, I can't handle this, you know. He said, do you love me more than these? Now, see, he's correcting the three denials. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And then they chew a little bit more. Feed my lambs. Not fish, feed my lambs. It's his calling, it's his identity, it's, it's, it's his destiny, what he's called to do. Verse 16, he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And He said to him, tend my sheep. A different way of saying the same thing. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He says to him a third time. So he's reconciling three times for the grief that Peter was experiencing. Simon, son of Judah. Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. It had to be a little bit embarrassing. And he said, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Uh, you know, I was up in uh, uh, Canada this past week. Long story short, uh, we weren't intending to go to Canada. I was actually a little bit sick. I had this cough, you know, and, and, uh, I, and we just said, you know what? We were supposed to go to California for our annual uh, pastor's retreat out there and couldn't go because uh, I wasn't feeling well that day, and we had to cancel our flights and everything. So we said, well, let's just get in the car and drive to Canada because we're, we were allowed, as of a month ago, to go back to Canada to visit Cindy's family, which we hadn't seen in uh, s- several years, almost, two, th- almost three years. And so, uh, uh, so we went up there. And on the way up there, I started feeling compelled to, uh, to reconnect with some of the people from our church that I planted up there in 1986 left in 1996, and it, uh, it went through a lot of difficulties uh, when I left. Uh, actually, it did okay for a while, and then about 10, 15, 10 to 12 years after I left, it uh, started falling apart. There were difficulties. They had to uh, basically close it, sell it out. And uh, one of the first things I did is when I went there is I, uh, I, uh, I went and stood, just myself, I went and stood in front of that building that I had built, uh, We bought 18 acres on the freeway. Very similar here. Built a building similar to this one. Not as big, but similar. And, uh, you know, it was 10 years. It represented 10 years of my life. And it's a judo studio now. And so I I sat there and I just thought, you know, part of me was, I was angry at the devil. I've gone through this before. I was angry at the devil. And yet also I rejoiced that we had 10 years. And that the seeds were scattered all over that region. People that, hundreds of people, really thousands of people we ministered to. We ran conferences up there that had, up to that point had never been run quite like that. I mean, we had 1,500 people coming out to our conferences and we were only a church of 350. And we managed it. That's where I learned how to do conferences up there. I mean, we saw a move of the Spirit so powerful. People like, uh, uh, that had come there, John Wimber came uh, to our, uh, our, our ministries John Paul Jackson, Mike Bickle. I mean, we were just running through uh, all these people. We were so hungry. We, we knew we couldn't all go there, so we brought them there. We brought them there to the small town of St. John. So the, all that was compressed into this facility, basically. You look at it, it's a symbol of it, you know. And I'm, I'm sitting there looking, and I just, I just got the joy. I said, I thought, you know, I could, I could be depressed right now. Like, boy, what, what happened to that 10 years? You know, it, doesn't, it no longer exists anymore. And, I, and people... People have told me in the past to go, it was just a building, it was just property. Those are people that never built anything. You build something, it sticks in your head for your whole life. Whether it's a house, a church, or whatever it is, or business, it's, it's your baby. I mean, you even if it's the Lord's, ultimately, you're the steward of it and you, you feel the attachment to it and it's painful to have anything other than that. But I just felt the, the waves of the Holy Spirit. I just, I just said, I said basically out loud, I just said, this this narrative is not over. And uh, this is gonna be used for the purposes of God in the days ahead. It's interesting though, there's a revival breaking out in that area, in a church that was connected to our property on the other side of the hill, a Wesleyan church. And about two years ago, they hired a pastor to be there. This is a Wesleyan church, it's evangelical. They hired a pastor to be their prophetic pastor. And uh, he called me two years ago and said, what do I do? <laughs> I mean, I'm in an evangelical church. They hired me to be prophetic. I don't want train people. You know, we talked about it and everything. Turns out he was, he was ministered to by our ministry there uh, 27, 28 years ago when he was a, I was a teenager. And uh, uh, I, I, so I went there last Sunday. I went to the church. And he leaned over and he said, this is probably everything you dreamed of. I said, it is. And it's just weird that it's connected to the same property. But Lord, I don't understand your ways. I don't like them sometimes. I prefer you do it my way. But I felt the peace of God. And this guy, when I met with the pastors, and I had some prophetic words over them, and they, they told me, they, well, this one pastor said, I want you to know that everywhere we go to plant a church, and they planted numerous ones around the Maritimes, he said, we run into people that were a part of what you were doing in St. John. And he said, uh, you know, they've scattered out all over the area. He said, we get there, they're the most reliable people we find. We planted churches with those people helping us, you know. And I just, I mean, I, The restoration of that is so powerful. And it relates obviously to what I'm sharing. One last one. There's so many things that happen, but one of my young champions, like a Joel Reichland kind of a guy, uh, Joel, we've been working with him for 14, 15 years. He's just, I mean, he's, he stands on equal ground. He's, and and in so many ways surpasses me or, or things that I can do. I'm so, but Done this before with other people, and so but we became estranged over the years. It was it was not all my fault, but it was there was stuff that happened, and, the, and this young guy, like a Joel, when I left, he was 34 years old. And so I texted him and said, I'd like to like to meet with you. And he was so overjoyed, he said, Can you give me 15 hours? And I said, Well, we'll give you some. will give you some hours, you know, on my vacation here. So we, we get to the restaurant. I walk in. I remember he was 34 when I left. I haven't seen him since, and I have seen him on social media. I look over. He's 60 now. 60. He's gone through a lot of things. He shared stuff with me. And, and, but he said, just a few months ago, he said, man, the fire of God came back upon me. He was, he, was, he was out of touch with the church. He was separated because of disappointment, discouragement, like Peter. And boy, we had a time. I mean, he's a funny guy. We laughed, we wept, three and a half hours. Didn't get to 15, but it was three and a half. And the Lord just showed me, he said, it's never over. God is always going after us. He will ask you, throw the net on the other side. You gotta do it. You need to do it. You need to be a part of a local church. I believe you need to be a part of this church. You need to tie in and in this together, we're going to experience miracle after miracle after miracle. Try the hummus again. Let's all stand together for good. <clears throat> oh, Jesus. I got to say, if I have a testimony in my life, it's reconciliation. It's happened over and over again. What that t- tells me, what, to have a lot of reconciliation means you have to a lot of, offend a lot of people. <laughs> Apparently, I have over the years, and I'm sure even here today. Recently, someone who'd been away for a while came back and said, is it okay? Are you up? Something I said in the sermon which wasn't about them, but they said, you know, is it okay for us to be here? Of course, of course it is. I mean, honestly, I don't even remember half the time what the offenses are or what happens or what goes on, but I know this, that Jesus is after us for what is about to come to this church. There's no time that's more important than right now that we reconcile with one another. Not only in the church, but outside the church. Thanksgiving Day this week, If you're with family, you're with people that you need, don't sit in the opposite end of the table so you don't talk with them. Lean into it. Throw the net on the other side. We're in a moment right now that there's a spirit of reconciliation upon the church to reconcile, understand, make right, and do it over food because food is magical. It's mysterious. It settles the soul of the hungry beast in order to bring forth the reconciliation that Peter experienced it. Let's just close our eyes just for a minute. Jay's coming up to finish off and wish I could stick around to hear how he does this. But uh, if you've been away from Christ, this is a time to come back to Jesus. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, a man two weeks ago up in Middleburg, I went back to him in the back row. I said, hey. He told me his name. I said, are you a Jesus follower? He said, no. I said, do you want to be a Jesus follower? He said, I don't think so. I said, "Okay, Fair enough. I said, but here's what Jesus thinks about you. I took about 10 minutes to prophesy over him. Things shifted. I mean, it shifted. It shifted. There is so much. It needs to be done. If we can become walking, living examples, ambassadors, as it says in Corinthians, ambassadors of reconciliation. There are like millions of people out there that are not a part of a local church. They might even like God a little bit or understand he's there, but there's no, there's decades that are going to be, that are going to feel wasted from 34 to 60. Oh, the joy that came forth in this guy. I love him dearly. Joy unspeakable, obviously, and full of glory. So be reconciled. Jay. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.